0: Well, hey, everyone, this is Lisa Anderson, and I know that top of mind for you right now is what am I going to get boundless for Christmas? Okay, be thinking about that, because I know that we are on your Christmas list. Um, Okay, but here's an idea for you. As we finish out this year, we would love if you would consider giving a gift to Boundless. And the good news is we have a very generous donor who has agreed to match every gift that is given to us. And so you have the opportunity to go to Boundless.org, just click on the donate button right there. You'll have an opportunity to give and that gift will be matched as part of our year-end campaign. So you know you love Boundless, you know that we're part of your life, you know that we will be next year. And so go to boundless.org, click on donate, give a gift, and it is uh, very much your way of saying Merry Christmas to us, and we have the opportunity to serve you in the new year. Thanks, everyone, in advance. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and as I often like to do on the show, a little preview of what is coming up. Later on for our inbox segment, we have a listener who's wondering if she needs to relocate to a different city to improve her chances of dating successfully. Uh, I'm going to weigh in on that. And then for our culture segment, Tavares and Safa Gray are the authors of a new book titled Godly Dating 101. In my interview with them, they're going to address establishing boundaries in dating, having good friends around you, and how do you know if you're truly pursuing God's best in a relationship. So stay tuned for that. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and we've got a special thing this week where our roundtable is actually being uh, taped live in Colorado Springs in a local coffee house. And I'm joined by three local pastors uh, who I'm going to introduce here. I have Rich Wolf, Vince Hoppy, and Ken Harmon. And so, welcome,
1: guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for having us. All right. We'll
0: see how you do. You know, then we'll we'll determine if you're really welcomed or not. No, I'm just teasing. Um, well, we're going to have a fabulous conversation around the topic of the importance of church community. And I think when we have this conversation, we're going to have to define what is church community. A lot of people maybe define that differently, and so. We're going to jump um, right in. And so for purposes of introduction, why don't you each give us a brief overview of what you're currently doing in ministry and what roles you've previously served in?
1: Okay. Um, As I said, my name's Rich. And so right now I'm the pastor of Adult Discipleship at Village 7 Presbyterian Church. And I've been doing that for the last six years. Uh, Prior to that, for 25 years, I was a missionary with Mission to the World. And we first were in the Philippines, and then I oversaw our ministries in Latin America, uh, Central America, and the Caribbean. And uh, a long, long, long time ago, back at Village 7, I was a pastor to students. And so junior high through college and career. And uh, so that's my past.
0: I feel like your involvement as a pastor in the Caribbean is very suspect, but we're going to get to that later.
2: So, okay, Mm -hmm. Vince, how about you? Yeah, so... Currently, I am the uh, pastor for Grace and Peace Church. I was a church planner that started that church, so previous to that, I was the assistant pastor of church planning for Village 7 Presbyterian Church, uh, and... Prior to that, my involvement, I worked with as a youth director for Memorial Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, and I worked with CREW for 10 years in CREW, Campus Crusade for Christ in Santiago, Chile, New Mexico State University. Uh, Someone's waving their hand. Yes, Yale of the yuccas, baby.
3: And uh, Washington (laughs) University in St. Louis. Awesome. My name is Ken Harmon. I'm the outreach and recovery pastor at New Life Downtown, uh, prior to that, I did um, so a lot of things, a lot of different areas of ministry. I've been a senior pastor over students. I prefer to call myself the trench pastor. I like getting in the trenches. I do a lot with recovery, homeless uh, ministries, and uh, those things. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, I want to kind of take this um, not too far into the distant past and kick off our conversation by talking about this thing that I don't know if those folks listening remember, but it's called the pandemic. Um, some of it remember, some of you remember it as COVID-19, whatever. But I want to know from you guys, what changed in your churches during this global pandemic? And have your churches since bounced back? If they have, to what extent? And if not, why not?
1: Well, um... It caught us by surprise. I remember sitting around the staff meeting and thinking, oh, this will last three weeks, maybe a month, and then we can get back to normal. And that wasn't the case. Uh, we had no videotaping, no streaming, nothing. And so we were caught off guard and a big learning curve and everything. Uh, one of the biggest things I saw, I've been in ministry for going on close to 40 years, and I think COVID has been the most divisive thing that I've experienced. Uh, so many people allowed COVID, whether it be masks, no masks, social distancing, no social distancing, how your church handled it, how it didn't handle it, has caused more division than I've seen in anything else. And it's really been a very, it was a very, very sad time for me uh, to experience that. And uh, we had several factors going on at one time. Uh, we did lose a fair number of people, so we haven't bounced back in the way of our numbers uh, but in a lot of ways, I think we've, the ones who have come back, uh, it's, it's healthier than it was prior. I think we have a, a greater uh, sense of needing to be a part of the body of Christ, of coming back, because even my introverted friends uh, during COVID said, we need to get together. And so there was that urgency, I think, of, of being together and being a part of the community.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. There was a lot of, like, the politicization of, of uh, COVID and then also political entrenchment. And so that kind of it drew lines for people. And then it also isolated particular people. And, and so there was a higher feeling of loneliness. And then also there was greater, greater despair kind of uh, amongst younger younger generations especially. And And if you look at just kind of the outlook of everything, it was – it, it was difficult, and it was sad to kind of see see these uh, these results. Our church, Grace and Peace, one of the things that that was a little different than most churches. We actually grew during the pandemic, and so, uh, and, and a lot of that was because we have a lot of young people that just needed desperately to uh, find a place to be known and welcome. And so we followed guidelines. And then we, we did whatever we could to make sure we were connecting with people and trying our best. And, you know, we're, we're limited, finite. We didn't do it perfectly. But th- those are some of the things we ended up uh, just trying anything to just connect
3: with people. All right. Ken, how about you? So my story is a little bit different because I moved here. I'm a, a disabled veteran. My lungs were going out. And so it got to a point where the doctor said, you need to move. And I said, uh, move where? And they said, Colorado or Utah. So I said, Colorado it is. <laughs> but Amen. when I moved here, I had, I had reached a, a point in my life of burnout. That was my pandemic. It was burnout on an epidemic level. I wanted to have nothing to do with the church. I didn't want to be involved with the church. Um, church was just like, church was a bad word to me. Um, and then God, in his uh, wisdom, slowly moved me back into ministry the more I pulled away and then uh, so I actually hired into New Life downtown during the COVID, during during the COVID sound like an old person During COVID. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my sister says the COVID. So I hired in during COVID. And so for me, um, I'm used to trench. I'm used to brokenness. And it felt like, hey, this is cool. This is right at home. So I jumped right in. We had no teams. I was the team pastor. We had no teams. I was the outreach pastor. We weren't doing outreach. And so for me, it was a different approach to ministry, um, and it was a different way of doing ministry um, that really caught me off guard. But I grew along with it because, you know, one of the things we say in the military is we don't make excuses. We make adjustments. So we had to learn how to adjust fast, and we had to understand. One of the things that I remember our pastor at the time said, this is not something that's passing. This is what ministry is going to be like. So we had to approach ministry like that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So this is kind of a, um, a cornerstone question for the evening. And, you know, maybe in the interest of time, a couple of you can answer it, um, you know, and, and kind of give different pieces of this answer. But here's what we want to know. If you can podcast or stream any church or pastor that you want And maybe you have that plus a good group of Christian friends and even mentors. Why can't that be church? And in your response for whoever wants to tackle this, also give, as part of that, a biblical defense for why you're giving this answer.
2: Yeah. So I, I'll start off with this. I think in creation we see humanity is made for relationship. We're made in the image of God. We're, we have this, you know, this desire for relationship, and primarily our relationship was meant for covenant relationship with God. And with that, we are given particular uh, boundaries, and then we're also given a mission. And so the people of God are to work together, humanity. So the man and the woman, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, were given the task of being priests and then to expand the garden by uh, being fruitful and multiplying, guarding and keeping the, the garden. And so that was that's kind of the, the key of how we understand what, what the rest of God's gathered people are for. And so in the New Testament, we see certain things that this is the new creation, that a new people created in Christ, so uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and that then we're told that as this gathered, people were to submit to elders for the equipping of, for the work of ministry. So 1 Peter 5, Hebrews 13, 1 Timothy 5, Ephesians 5, and then one of the things that is the sign of this covenant relationship— uh, just like, just like uh, anything, is, is a sacrament. And so the sacraments were, uh, and especially the Lord's Supper, was something that they did weekly together in gathered homes and, and, or in the synagogue. And it was done on the first day of the week, on Sunday, for the breaking of bread. And so they devoted themselves, it says, to the, te- the apostles' teaching. And this is how you're to live into the new creation. So what does this mean? It means this, it means that you learn in church and in the gathered people how to be truly human, how to be really, truly human as an image bearer of God and made and recreated in Christ. And so that is, that is what you are made for and what you are, how you are going to find who you truly are is by joining this gathered people in worship. Cool. Anyone want to add anything?
1: Well, as I was thinking about this uh, this um, week as well, one of the things that passages that came to mind was Ephesians chapter four. Mm-hmm. And Ephesians is a beautiful book that talks about the gospel. And the first three chapters are explaining the gospel of grace and what that is. And then it moves into the application of the gospel. And the application of the gospel is is understood in the context of church and not individual. And so I think one of the issues that we struggle with in our culture, and probably even more so out here out west, is that we have a tendency of being very individualistic. And so we have a lot of things that just rotate around who we are and not the concern for where do I fit into the bigger picture with others. And I'm also teaching on Titus in a, one of our community groups right now, and i am really been struck by the fact that there's that whole concept of the older and the younger interacting together, both women and men, and with, uh, women with younger women and older men with younger men. And that whole concept that there should be a connection, an intergenerational um, interaction with each other where we are really building into each other's lives. And one of the things that really struck me is you don't realize how much we need you in the church. We need your gifts. We need your insights. We need your thoughts. And we need your passion.
0: Okay. Well, I'm going to toss the next one to Ken and have him start this. Um, As you can see, see, this is what's so great about hosting the show. I can take pictures of people while they're talking. I can be texting our producer over here. So you're just part of a real taping. Isn't that awesome? Okay. Um, Anyway, here's the next question. Ken, why don't you start us off? Um, so now that we're, we've talked about the importance of the local church and the biblical um, background and means of why the church matters, what are a few non-negotiables to look for in a healthy local
3: church? Well, wow, that's a great question. One of the things I, uh, I had a friend in, in graduate school— uh, who was Korean. I spent two years in Korea. So we, we became good friends around that. And one of the times he was joking with me, he said, he said, Ken, do you you want to know how to determine a good Korean restaurant? And I said, no, how do you do that? And he said, open the door and see if there's any Koreans in it. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, that's still the, that, that was like, oh, <laughs> wait a minute. There's wisdom there. <laughs> but the truth is, if you open a door and you see that a church is Christ centered I can pretty much guarantee you it's a healthy church. Now, it may not be a fun church, but it's a healthy church. Because any church that's absent of Christ is an unhealthy church. I don't care how loud the music is. I don't care what the bounce house is in the kids area is. I don't care about any of that. If you look in a church and you cannot see Christ in the church, in my opinion, it's just not a healthy church. Fun church, awesome church. Man, we had a great time. Um, Who is Christ? (laughs) Christ-centered church church makes a healthy church.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with, with Ken, Ken and what he's saying here. So the Reformation pastor John Calvin would say that there's three marks of a, of a church. And so one is a pure preaching of the word. And so it's gospel centered. Mm-hmm. It's Christ centered preaching. You have not done your job in preaching the text unless it gets to Jesus somehow. And so this means it's not legalistic. If it can be presented in a mosque, yoga studio, synagogue, or given as a TED Talk, that is not preaching. And then the other thing is, is sacrament. So John Calvin talks about the sacrament rightly administered. And so, we're, so for us in our tradition, we talk about baptism mm-hmm. and the Lord's Supper. And then lastly, it is church discipline uh, rightly carried out. And so faithfully carried out according to the scriptures. Hmm. And part of that church discipline is discipling God's people. And so those are, those are like our three non-negotiables. And when anyone wants to leave a church, I, I talk about this and, and talk about our friends. They're like, hey, we're thinking of coming to your church. I'm like, well, was this present at your last church? Hmm. And, so, and then if they say, yeah, that's present, I'm like, go back. Yeah. I'm like, don't come here. Go back. <laughs> Serve there. Well, we're going to actually talk a little bit more about church discipline
0: next week on the show. So for those of you listening, uh, make sure you tune back in next week. But I do want to move on to another question because this pertains to young adults, many of whom are listening to the show right now and also in our live audience here as we tape. A question for you men. Young adults, especially single young adults, often feel forgotten in today's churches, which are largely programmed for families if we're being honest a lot of things for marriages for families whatever and that's just historically been true how has this imbalance come about and how can young adults be part of a solution to really feel like they're part of the local body and how can they maybe respectfully since you guys are representative of church leadership how can they respectfully approach church leadership with ideas
1: that's a really good we question we want to tell you
0: what to do yeah, rich that's right. I Why know. Don't you tell us
1: yeah that's fine yeah you can tell us what to do I think it's happened because churches became very programmatic. Uh, they really focused on if they could produce programs and they could run programs, then people would come. And when you do that, one of the first areas you go to is you know, children's ministry, youth ministry, uh, any kind of activity that you can have because that's how they defined how they were succeeding as a church. And one of the sad things is I think what's done is, and I can do this now because i'm I'm the older guy on the on the panel, and so've been around a little bit longer and have been in youth ministry and have been in different settings, but I see a, a real segmentation going on in the church, whereas I think we need more and more integration between generations, and you know I need to hear from my single friends. And they need to hear from me as well. And there has to be serving together, side by side. Has to be you know thinking and being passionate about the church, side by side. So I think that's how it came about by all these programs which segregated people according to ages and and whatever whatever's going on in your life. We have young kids or old kids or whatever, uh, we, which happens in our church right now too. It's one of our struggles in our church. So, but I think. It's doing a disservice. So I'd say jump in and be a part of the solution uh, and talk to those who are of different generations and engage with them.
3: I think that's uh, definitely a good answer. I wish I had thought about it. (laughs) But one of the things I think that takes place in the church is there's a thing called social conformity. It means you adapt to your environment. So, if you're young and you come into the church and you feel that the environment is not conducive to who you are and what you have and your voice, then you'll just eventually adapt to that environment. So I think one of the things that um, to be a voice in an area that oftentimes many pastors aren't thinking about they're they're thinking about you know song and sermons and these kind of things and if you don't come in with a voice. I'm not aware, because it's just how I'm wired, you know, now that I'm old, uh, older, now that I'm older, I'm not wired for what's going on in TikTok, and what's going, and all these things, and so when you come in, and you say, okay, I'm not coming into your church, once I enter, this is my church, in my notes, you guys are supposed to clap, but that was really good, (laughs) Uh, actually, I just thought that up, so. I won't copyright on that. (laughs) Uh,
2: Can I jump in here, Lisa? Absolutely. I think one of the things that we have to uh, reckon with is in kind of in recent history, there's been a great, I I hate to use the word, but idolatry of marriage and family. So that uh, the single life has been kind of like second tier in Christianity, that your goal for a lot of singles is like, we've got to get you married. And that's the only way you can have a fulfilling life. And so we talk about marriage and family as this is the, way, the only way to the good life. And otherwise, you're on the frontage road on, uh, from God's highway forever hitting every stop sign on the way. And so one of the things that we have to uh, be able to do is give people, especially young people, avenues in their singleness to uh, do things in discipleship in every level. And so we have elders who are single. We also have something called a Women's Leadership Council that help advise our our elders and also assist us in shepherding and uh, direct women's discipleship. And they're single women, we make, a, make it a point that there are single women represented there. There are single women welcoming and greeting up front, and, and single men also that are involved in every level of leadership. And so that we will always have this voice and be able to listen to this. And so any hiring committee that we have, single people are on it. Uh, and so then we invite them. We don't have a problem of anyone serving in our nursery, because single people have stepped up to disciple our children and understanding that they can be spiritual parents to our children. And I think that is vitally important. And so those are some of the things that we have done. And then... Uh, we make sure that we invite the heck out of our single people to come hang out at our house, do fun stuff, and live life with us as a family. And I think that's, those are some of the things that we can do and invite people into those, those uh, conversations, especially young people and singles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great thought, and and I do want to add lest everyone now you know vacate their church and join Vince's. Um, it's it's kind of like okay, well Vince, that sounds amazing. Um, I think what you really hit on is so great. All of you did, and that's the idea of we are all to be discipled and to be discipling, mm-hmm. and that growth and that you know I I always say to my single friends, I'm like. If you're a CPA, you better be on the finance committee of your church. You know, I I can say this because I'm single. I don't like it when my single peers sit around griping about their church and they don't they want to be like they want someone to call them out and invite them to their home like 12 times and sell them on why they should serve. And I'm like, you know, we have that in scripture. Why we're supposed to serve and we need to be inviters. We need to be initiators too and not be, you know, not play into that stereotype of single young adults just being at the kids' table, you know? We're not at the kids' table, we're adults, and so we need to be part of the body of Christ, serve where he's called us to serve, be discipled, be receptive to correction, um, be willing to plug in and grow, and I think we'll all benefit from that. So Mm. thanks so much for your your comments there, you guys. Okay, as we finish out, one other question. Um, I want to talk about the difference between a Church shopping slash hopping um, mentality that a lot of us can have when we're looking for churches. Because again, I think we've been a little bit conditioned now in a digital age when we have all these outliers before us. We have rock star pastors that we can stream, we've got big old churches. You know, it used to be. You just went to that church that was down the street because that was the one that was down the street. Now it's like, where do I go? So we always are hop, uh, shopping, hopping. But I also want you to touch on what are some valid reasons for leaving a church or changing mm-hmm. churches?
1: Yeah, we actually talked about this last uh, Sunday in, in church uh, a little bit. It's, you know, the, the, the key of, the, of a church, the, the heart of a church, is the gospel. And the gospel of grace. And so that has to be at the heart of the church and who we are. And so I was thinking about this and going, well, is it because there's no gospel being preached? And that's a good reason to leave. Sometimes if they have a different philosophy of ministry, uh, you might be called to serve uh, the poor or the needy. And so if they're not doing that, you might feel called to go and serve someplace else within a local church. That could be a good reason. But if it's something just your preference or something that just your likes and you say this is the, you know, I'm looking for it like I'm shopping on Amazon. And I'm looking at all the the, uh, requirements and all the things. I'm saying this is what I'm looking for. Uh, that becomes self-centered as opposed to saying, where does God want me to plug in? Where does God want me to engage? Where does God want me to be a part of the body of Christ uh, so that I can be uh, an adding value to it? And so I would say that's, that's what we really need to do. And so you have to ask, if, if I'm believing because I have that opportunity— uh, or because there's no gospel, or the philosophy is, is is wacky, then I'd say, yeah, go ahead. But if it's not, then I would ask the question: Where is God calling you to plug in?
2: Well, I think on on this, so so the church shopping, church hopping is really modern, and it and it comes in tandem with something that we would understand as consumerism. And so we all have a habit and instinct toward consumerism, and so we will go wherever the groceries are cheapest for us. Or wherever I have the best shopping experience, if you're a millennial, that would end up being like Trader Joe's in Whole Foods in spite of my paycheck. And so there, those things, we, we want to go where the goods are. And so we're so trained to do that. I think we need to check our consumerism. And then realize what Rich is saying. What is important? Why do you change churches? And I think there are a few reasons why you change churches. Back to what Calvin said is pure preaching of the gospel. But not only that, is, is this pure preaching of the gospel then also lived out in the culture of the people? You can have someone who can preach Jesus all day, but yet when, the way he interacts with his staff, the way this pastor interacts with other people on the ground can be very legalistic. And is not gospel-centered. And then uh, the sacraments is the word of God. The, the word of God made visible in the sacraments. Uh, Jesus Christ made edible and, and drinkable. Is he being presented to the people this way, and are they also gracious in their approach to to church discipline, or do they see that every problem is a nail in which a hammer is the only solution and so so those are those are the reasons why I would leave a church as if those three things are not being carried out well yeah that 's great.
0: Um, well, guys, we are out of time, but the good news is I'm going to have you guys back next week, if you're willing to come back next week, to continue this conversation on the importance of church community. Are you okay to come back?
1: Sure thing. Absolutely.
0: All right. We'll do it. You're my
4: coming the chaos, my peace in the war. You speak into the madness and tell me I'm yours. Tell me I am yours You're my calm
1: You're my calm in the chaos My peace in the war You speak into the madness And tell me I am yours
4: Only you can satisfy my soul You are my every heartbeat
0: Hey, folks. We are here for this week's culture segment, and it's always fun here at Boundless. I say this a lot when we can introduce you to new folks who are out there doing great work and loving God and modeling examples of great relationships and dependence on Him. And uh, this week is no exception. I have got Tavares and Safa Gray on the line. They are you may know them from Social from Godly Dating One Hundred and One, uh, and we're going to have more info on that. In links and all that. But they're also the brand new authors of Godly Dating 101, Discover the Truth About Relationships in a World that Constantly Lies. And when they're not writing, uh, they are speaking, they create uh, social media content, they obviously live out and walk out their own marriage and parenting as well. So Tavares and Safa, welcome to The Boundless Show.
5: Thank you Thank you for having us.
0: Excellent. So, okay, well, we're just going to get into it because I'm very, you know, I was mentioning before we started taping that I'm single, and I love it when we can bring married couples on board to the show for an audience that is mostly single and young adults, um, though we we don't, you know, we don't tell marrieds they can't listen. So uh, they're they're probably listening <laughs> in as well. But, um, but just having folks who can kind of share some real world experience with us and, and godly guidance. And so so I actually want to start just from your own perspectives, a little bit of background, um, because I know uh, I know Tavares, you actually started really getting into social media content creation when you were single and uh, with a, a buddy of yours. And I, I would love to know from each of you, um when you were younger and single what misconceptions did you have about relationships and now you know that you're you're married and maybe have a little more real world under your belt how have you grown in your understanding of what really matters
5: I don't know if Sophia want to go first or not cuz I'm not looking at her <laughs> um, but so yes yeah, so I actually started the page with my brother um and it wasn't related to dating at all hmm. um it was just talking about the Christian faith in general we called ourselves the anointed miss it, you know, and then my brother just started posting less, and honestly, whenever I would talk about relationships, dating, um, sex, purity, things like that, I would get a whole lot of questions, and then that's where this whole thing originated from, you know, so God just let me into that, but growing up in church, I mean, kind of hurt a lot, you know, kind of hurt a lot and a little at the same time, you know, always with the don't have sex, and outside of that is just like, okay, where's where's the rest of the text, you know, we're not really hearing too much, so you just really go at it thinking every time a person is dating, they're having sex. If you're kissing, um, I remember a quote um, perfectly said. I can see the lady saying it now. If you're kissing up, you're messing up. And I'm just like, dude, what is going on? You know. So I always just looked at dating through a negative lens. Basically, we're only doing what the world is doing. Oh, dating is not in the Bible, so if you're dating, then you're not in God's will. Christians don't date, they just get married one day, and just a whole lot of I don't want to call it nonsense, but not the, the greatest amount of wisdom um, that I would hear growing up And now. It's just a matter of learning principles to do it in a way that honors God rather than just don't,
0: don't, 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 don't. Hmm. All right. How about you, Safa? Yeah,
4: um, I, I'd say the same thing. I grew up in church, uh, born and raised in, in church, and in my church specifically, it was a, a smaller, smaller congregation, and the age gap was huge. So there were um, kids who were my age, but then they were adults, and then there were no middle-aged in between. And so the gap was big, and I don't feel as though that my, the generation um, you know, before us, they really knew how to relay the information to us about what dating is, how we should date. It was just never talked about. It was just looked at, as Savar so said, in a negative light, even in, in my church, and it was just a don't date. We didn't hear anything much about it. Don't have sex, don't kiss, don't date. That's basically it. So I've always viewed dating in a negative light as well, and then as I got older, I had to learn how to, you know, how to navigate this thing called relationships, kind of on my own. And so it, it you know, it, I feel as though it is very important, especially for this generation, to have that in their lives—something that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And if we can be that for this generation, if we can be that for, you know, other people who are looking to date and things like that to kind of give them some type of guidance of course based on biblical principles of how and how to honor God dating how to how to do this thing God's way.
0: Yeah. Well, it's so funny you say that because I think a lot of folks are like yeah, they almost wish there were more lines and more guidelines. You know, just tell me what to do. Just tell me how to fix this. Just tell me right. what I need to be. Exactly. And, and especially when we haven't gotten a lot of great direction, maybe from our parents or from the church. I know that was a little bit of my story of just, I certainly had the culture telling me what I should do. And then my parents, I think, were just, they met at a Christian college and they're like, well, it should just happen. I mean, you know, there's mm-hmm. not really much to it. And so I was like, like, uh, it's not happening. So um, thinking that through, and, and Safa, I'd love for you to share this because I know in the book you talk about even your own uh, journey and maybe even some missteps in kind of moving through kind of some of the cultural things. You had a friend who called you out for a social media post, um, maybe a, a photo and stuff. What did, what did she say and why was that helpful to you to have that friend kind of speaking into Where you were trying to be noticed by guys,
4: right? Um, Very helpful. I, like I said, I didn't know the right way to go about these things. I didn't know, and as a young teenage Christian girl, I thought, hey, the best way to get a guy's attention is, you know, to flaunt what you've got. You know, maybe a little bit of sex appeal in in a certain image, even if you have on clothes or whatever the case may be, but. Even if they were just to see, you know, something, they would be, you would be appealing to them. And so I used that as my avenue to get attention and which was wrong, which was wrong. It could have sent me down a a life of, of heartache. It could have sent me down the wrong path. And so she kind of just pulled me aside and said, hey, that is not the way that, you know, you're better than that. You're bought with a price and, you know, you don't have to do that to get that kind of attention because, if you put that out, the kind of attention you're going to attract is something that you don't want in the long run. And I think that saved me a world of trouble. Eventually I, I learned that, you know, if, if a guy or a person in general, whether you're a guy or a girl, but if a person doesn't take you for who you are, who you are as a person, who you are as a Christian, who you are mentally and all of that, if they want you for just your body, if that's what you have to give them, then that is no good, because um, that is not the way Christ wants things to be. That is not That is not Christ-like. And so definitely steered me away from from a life of going down the wrong path of, you know, trying to uh, be somebody I'm not, honestly.
0: Yeah. Well, it's good that you brought up, I mean, again, this this topic of friendship is so important. And you actually uh, speak in the book about, I, I think you asked the question of readers, like, who's on your team? What does this look like? Because we can't date in a vacuum. And many of us think we can, that, you know, you you kind of have your friends and they're there for when you're single. But then the minute you start dating someone, you like lose your mind and you just start staring into this person's eyes. And then you know, this person is is your everything. And really we got to have people around us. And we talk about that a lot uh, here at Boundless as well. So I'd love to ask you two, what what for you, as you've examined this, what does genuine accountability look like among friends, especially when it comes into um, the dating spectrum? You know, and I'm, it could be peers. I mean, I'm also big on mentors, you know, getting other people to have eyes on your relationship. But how do we find the people who can truly help us in this journey?
5: So when it comes to finding it, that that was something that I found difficult for myself um, because I honestly felt like most times I would try to find the community, it would always be women, and I'm like, well, that's not going to help me in the long run, you know. So I, that was something I, I genuinely prayed for for quite some time. But the thing is, I think our our generation, unfortunately, we we sort of lack accountability and we hate it. We hate when you know, we have everybody in our corner that tells us what we're doing right. Everyone in our corner that, hey, good job on that. Hey, good job on your sermon. And it's always just people buttering us up. But we, we lack those people that are able to tell you, hey, you are wrong. Um, wearing that is, is going to be problematic. Um, the way you spoke to that person, that's an issue. We don't really keep people in our lives um, that are able to correct us. And we'll say, no, 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 they didn't say it in love. When truth be told, here's a lot of people that can speak to you in love, and if you don't want to hear it, you're just not going to listen. Um, you know, so I think it's important that our generation learns to accept, learn to accept rebuke, learn to accept correction, learn to allow people to speak into your life, because I believe the Bible makes it clear when it says, iron sharpens iron, that that's not an easy process. You know, that can be painful, that can be frustrating, but the Bible mentions that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So God is going to place people in our lives that show his love to us by correcting us. You know, so I think the key in order to find that good accountability is paying attention to the people that aren't just supporting you, aren't just encouraging you, but are also willing to tell you, hey, man, you could have done better if you did this. Hey, I know you guys, you know, you fell into fornication, but this is where it started going down a slippery slope. Until you find those people in your life, your relationships are going to constantly fail because you need those godly um, people to continue to speak to you. So I think it's key that we, we ask God to send us people that aren't just uplifting us, but also willing to point out the flaws that we can't see, because it's, it's difficult, um, you know, for me to see all of my issues. But other times, other people are able to spot it quicker than us. So that was something that I prayed for, you know, asking God to help put people in my life that are, um, you know, willing to correct me. And the other aspect was, you know, place me in an environment whereas I'm not the most spiritual person. You know, mm-hmm. when I felt like a lot of times I was always the the one. If I feel like I pray more than everybody in my group, I study more, I fast more, I do everything more than everybody in my group, I feel like I'm in the wrong group. Mm-hmm. Because if I choose to compromise, no one in my group is going to care to rebuke me because they're going to think, you know, well, he does more than I do. You know, so it's okay if he, if he lays back. When in reality, those friends, yeah, they love you but they're not helping you spiritually. And I feel like that's where Amnon found himself in the Bible. You know, the Bible made it clear that Amnon had a half-sister Tamar, and he tells his friend, you know, I have this obsession, you know, I'm feeling sick, You know, I'm really, I really want to be with her. And instead of his friend correcting him, like, dude, you're, you're the son of the king, you can get any girl in the town, his son, this guy convinces him, hey, well, here's a plan to get yourself to sleep with her. When in reality, if he had a friend that was able to tell him, hey, that's wrong, this is what you should do. But, you know, a lot of times we surround ourselves with people who just cosign or tell us what to do. But I believe God wants to surround us with people that are able, you know, to challenge us, you know, ask God to bring people in our life that because I'm around them, I feel convicted because I'm not doing enough. You know, I believe that we should always start to be around people that are pushing us to grow spiritually. And even if you weren't a Christian, you would understand that that's very important in things like business, in school. I don't want to be the smartest person in my in my friend group. I don't want to be the the richest guy. I want to be challenged every time around people. So I think it's important that, especially those who are desiring to get married, you find a married couple, and you you see a woman who submits her husband, a a man who reverences his wife, you see a couple that's doing the things that you want your marriage to reflect. That's the type of people you should surround yourself by because you're going to learn from them. You're going to glean from just watching them and being in their presence.
0: Yeah. I think it's so good what you say, you know, that idea of like, you have to decide this on the front end, that you're going to go after yeah. maturity, that you're going to put these people in your life. You don't just wake up and, you know, I often say this in the context of a number of things, like just wait for it to hit you like the flu, like it's assumptive or, you know, so much of this requires intentionality. Um, the other thing that does require intentionality, and, and you guys really go into this in uh, in the book, and again, the book is Godly Dating 101, um, is the concept. of boundaries, which a lot of us are just like, oh, please don't even go there. Like, we don't want to talk about this. You know, again, it's it's approached as such a horrible topic. But again, it's like, you know, and Safa, maybe you could speak to this, the concept of I see so many, especially single women out there who are going to take on guys as projects because they think that they're going to pull them along spiritually or they're going to build them up or they're going to be their be all end all. And then there's just frustration and or compromise because they haven't decided on the front end, this is who I am, this is my identity in Christ, and this is how this relationship is going to go down. And so can you just speak to boundaries a little bit about why they are actually a benefit uh, for a relationship? And what does it look like in terms of having even an initial conversation about what your boundaries are that need to be respected?
4: Right. I believe— you know in the bible it says to guard your heart for out of it are the issues of life and as a young girl i had boundaries but i let them you know go by the wayside because i felt as though because of low self-esteem and things like that i just felt as though um you know my boundaries were too high or my if if i kept these boundaries i would never find anyone i would never but in the process i started to lose who i was not just as a christian but as myself I started to lose all the values and the standards that I held that were important to me. And, you know, I started, you know, becoming this person who I, I didn't recognize. And as I grew up as an adult, I realized that you, basically you're putting people at an arm's length when it comes to certain things. You're saying, I will not allow this, I will not allow that, and I will not allow this. But that is a big part of who, I, who you become as a person, and it, it teaches people how to treat you. And in that regard, you don't become, you know, a doorstep. You don't become, you, you don't find yourself in a relationship where you just basically take and go for any and anything. And, you know, that is important as a young Christian, whether you're a woman or a man, because the Bible talks about boundaries. There are a lot of scriptures in there, but like the Bible says, the biggest one, guard, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your eyes, guard your mouth, those are boundaries, those are things that are important, and in the, especially in the dating realm, because then you find yourself in compromising situations. And it, it's important to put boundaries in, in your dating, in, you know, in dating and things like that, in, or in any relationship for that matter, because not only are you respecting yourself as a person, but you are saying you respect God, you respect the, the, His biblical standards, you respect the, the guidelines that He put in life for you to follow. And by that, you you find the person who God wants you to really be with. You don't settle with less than than God's best. Because at the end of the day, we have to truly believe that uh, God has our best interests at heart, and if we abide by His principles and abide by the boundaries that we set, He will find the best. He has the best of the best for us, and we shouldn't settle for uh, anything less than that. So I just believe overall that is important, not just, you know, in our spiritual life, but just physically or in, you know, mentally, just in our, in our day-to-day as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's so important as to why we need to know Scripture and know what God's standard is, because it's very easy for us to go to church and to say, well, you know, of course I can just date this girl. She's at church, or this guy's at church, or they, right. you know, they say they're a Christian and whatever. But we know that there are many people in church and saying they're Christians and and whatever, but what they hear on a Sunday is not connecting in their real life on a Wednesday day. And so oh, we yeah. have to know what's what and prioritize what is true and what God says first. Um, so I'd love for you to just flesh that, that out a little more, you know, one or both of you, um, you can decide this idea of, you know, you say there, there are real things to, to look for, whether a person is someone that God is sending for you, and this is a person who's a true contender and someone that might be your, you know, I don't want to say the one, capital the one, like there's only one mm-hmm. mystical person out there for you, but the person that God truly has said, you know, this could be a good match for you versus a counterfeit. Speak a little bit to that.
5: I, I once heard a quote that when your mind is made up, everything seems like confirmation. And I think that's really how a lot of Christians operate. They're my type. They're, that means they're the one. They go to church. That means they're the one. We, pay, we don't pay attention to any red flags. We don't even know what, it, what a red flag looks like they're attractive and they're still single, which means it must be God's plan for me. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of people think. And sadly, some people rush into marriage, and I believe God can still bless it because God is still good. But it doesn't mean that God wanted you with that person just because they attended church. You know, and unfortunately, a lot of people, they'll see, okay, well, Jesus is in their bio, but that doesn't mean Jesus is in their heart. Like you mentioned, clearly, we see a lot of people... Um, they go to church on Sunday, but it doesn't translate throughout the week, and that shows us that a lot of people are in church but is not that doesn't necessarily mean that they're living in Christ that doesn't mean that God has got a hold of their heart, you know so it's important that we pay attention to the fruit that people bear um that's one of the aspects that I wanted to really dive into in the book because there's a lot of people that will really say, "Oh, they changed, and man, they were loving God before when when in reality, a lot of people don't change, but you finally got exposed, and now you're committed to something and you're faced with the reality of what you are ignoring this entire time. You know, so I think it's important for us to not necessarily be so impressed by what they're wearing or what they're saying, because I know what it means to preach and still not have a good prayer life. I know what it means to be involved in every ministry and still lukewarm or still, you know, being driven by lust. You know, so it's important for people to understand that just because they go to church doesn't mean that that automatically qualifies them as a potential spouse. So what I would say is, for those those people that are wondering, like, well, how do I know? But you, Jesus made it clear that you judge people by their fruit. It doesn't mean, okay, they're not producing enough fruit, that means they're hellbound. No, but you need to pay attention to the patterns that people are producing. Because if this person, yes, they're spiritual, yes, they have on their nice suit and tie, and she has on her nice skirt. Okay, but how are the conversations when no one is looking? Like, is it is it bringing any glory to God or is it causing you to compromise? Is it causing you to change up um, or change your convictions? Is it causing you to question God's word? you know that's how the the enemy tempted Eve. He didn't come in you know and just curse God or something no he came in with a question. Did God really say that Did, does God really have a problem with Eve from this tree? and that's what the wrong relationship would do it'll cause you to question God's word it'll cause you to question your commitment to God it'll cause you to start looking at the one thing God told you to avoid. In some circumstances, we can look at it in terms of God says to save sex for marriage. He'll cause you to start looking at it like, well, wouldn't God forgive us if, if we just did it this one time? And that's those are clear signs of someone who doesn't respect God enough to respect you. So if a person is showing you that they're not willing to support your walk with God, they're just tolerating it, then that's not a relationship that you should settle for. So my encouragement is just for anybody who's in that predicament, don't pay attention to just how they make you feel, but pay attention to the direction it's going. Because if you take a step back, you can see if this relationship is healthy or not by the fruit it's producing. You can tell if it's healthy or not by, yeah, when you talk about anything physical or you're talking about how attractive they are. You guys can talk for hours, but the moment you start talking about God – he's bored out of his mind she doesn't know where the book of genesis is it's just like all right guys (laughs) i know i know they go to church but that is a clear sign that maybe it's time to step back
0: yeah That's such a good point. So, um, when before we started recording here, I told you guys uh, that you know here at the Boundless Show we we get real, we get down to brass tacks. And I asked you guys if you were okay with me um, asking this question, and you were gracious enough to to say yes. Um, I was reading an article from earlier this year that actually said that sixty two percent of Black women in the U.S. are now single compared to thirty two percent of all American women across the board, and I hear so often, uh, Tavares and Safa, from our Black sisters, even Black brothers in some instance, but just, you know, has has God forgotten me? Like, where are, you know, where's the opposite gender in my church? Where are the people running after Jesus? What does it look like? Um, What does God have for me? And I felt like, you know what, I'm interviewing Tavares and Sapa, and I'm just going to ask them, um, and I'm going to have you speak to our our listeners who maybe feel, and again, it could be, you know, we're talking, there are a lot of cultures out there that are putting a cultural construct or feeling they're limited, um, and God is limited uh, because of cultural uh, things that have been put upon them or their family of origin or whatever. So I would love for you to just close with a word of encouragement for those folks as to to giving them hope for what God might have for them in the future.
5: Um yeah. I, I believe there are two great reasons, but I'll let y'all let you go ahead, Seth.
4: Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I I don't know. I feel like I, I, I can understand that a bit because I I'm 31 and I have a lot of uh, friends around my age or coming up behind me that are, you know, they're feeling like that. They're feeling like, and, and these are black women as well that there are no guys out there. Uh, it's it's so easy for us to put God in a box. Um, based on our experiences, based on our own race, and, you know, just because we we see limitations, we put limitations on God sometimes, and we want Him to do things in our timing. We're around that age, you know, the clock is ticking, you know, we we have this biological clock ticking, and so we start to become anxious. We start to become, you know, like, God, where are you? Where are you? But then it makes me think of the story of um, Sarah and Abraham, and she, you know, she doubted God, she wanted a child, but she felt as though, how could, how could I ever, you know, get a child at my current age? She felt that she was too old, so she put God in a box. And sometimes it's so easy for us to do that because we, we want things in our time. We want, we want it to happen on our timeline. But, you know, God, His timing is the best timing. Even if we don't want to hear it, even if right now in this current situation, it feels like he's not an on-time God, he is an on-time God. And, you know, growing up, I always hear he may not come when you want him, but he really will be there right on time. And as long as you're still breathing, as long as you're still, you know, alive and trusting God, anything is possible. Anything is possible, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in our race as well. So don't put God in a box. He will, he can, and he will um, work outside of our confinements of what our standards should or what we think our standards should be. Uh, He has to be this height. He has to be this color. He has to fit this. He has to have this kind of job. God will find someone that will blow your mind. Maybe they weren't on your radar because it doesn't fit your checklist, but God is still able, and you just keep trusting Him. He will come through for you. He will come through for you. That's my advice to them. (laughs) Tavares, anything to add?
5: Yeah, I believe there's two reasons to add to that. There's a study that came out a couple years ago that said, black women were one of the most educated groups in America, uh, meaning that the, the rate that women are getting their bachelors and their masters now is, is at a way higher rate than, number one, our guys, and then some other um, races. Um, but my thing is, a lot of men, you know, they typically, they go for the woman who they feel like they're already superior to, as in, if she makes more money than me, they're already a little bit insecure, if she seems as though she has it all together, then why would she need me? And that causes a lot of guys, I believe, to walk in fear. Um, so I believe that. And I'm not saying women should stop getting degrees. I'm happy for these women that are making sure they're placing themselves in the right predicament. But my thing is I believe a lot of that just adds to some of the insecurity some of these guys deal with. Um, because a guy's probably looking at it like, well, she doesn't need me. But in my head, I don't view things that way. I believe that that should show you she's a driven woman. Proverbs 31 mentions Woman who's a hard worker, woman who's a great mom. So that should show you that she's a good fit for marriage. But unfortunately, for some guys, I believe they're kind of opposed to that. Don't ask me why, because that's just that's just sad, if you ask me. Um, but the second thing I'll say is there's, I think there's a huge lack of discipleship um, amongst men in black churches. And and I know there should be no black church or white church, but you know, in a predominantly black church, it's rare when there's you know, a lot focused towards men. Because there are more women in church, you always see a lot more towards women. The atmosphere feels, um, for lack of better words, feminine. You know, it's like it's a lot geared towards women rather than to guys. So a lot of guys drift away from the church. When in reality, if we did more to uplift our men, then our men would be prepared because women are asking, God, where's my spouse? And they're preparing, but the church isn't preparing the men. So there's a lot of prepared women and underprepared guys and it's just like well should she just marry the guy because he's in church and unfortunately a lot of women have made that mistake by just marrying a guy in church because he's single and it's backfired on them you know so I think the key is really to do a great a great deal of discipleship on our guys because at the end of the day we don't want our women just to settle for anyone and we want to make sure that whoever they're with is also fit to lead them and the woman is not feeling like she's forcing him to go to church and She's trying to do everything with the kids, but he also needs to be in the picture. So I think those are two of the things. Sometimes it's the guy's insecurity, whereas they feel as though if the woman um, already has too much, she may not need him. And second, I think there's a lack of discipleship, and it's not enough geared towards men and too much geared towards women.
0: Yeah, such a good word there. I was just going to add, as someone who is single, that um, I want to remind listeners, too, that God... Has never promised in Scripture that we will be married. He hasn't promised Correct. marriage to us. What he has promised is good things for his children to those who walk in faith and trust him with every day uh, that we can take to the bank. That we know is that he has promises for us. Sometimes we have to go back into Scripture and review those promises. So it's not a formula. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to trust that he has a story for us. It is unique, and he will walk it out. And it may include marriage. For many people, it will. But uh, ultimately, it is a good story, and it's not based only on our relationship status. And so, well, Tavares and Safa, such a great conversation. Um, Folks, I want to remind you that this book that we've been talking about and the principles out of it is called Godly Dating 101, Discover the Truth About Relationships in a World that Constantly Lies. And we want to make a copy of this book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. If you Just go to Boundless.org. You can search for 771. That's this week's episode. And uh, you'll see the book cover there. You just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless for what we already do here. And you know you're part of our Boundless family and we love you. And we're going to send a copy of the book as our thank you to you. So you can go ahead and do that. Uh, Tavares and Safa, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you so much for having us.
4: Yes, thanks for having us.
3: These hands do nothing. Until you compel me, these
4: feet go nowhere
1: until you propel me. My heart is bare until your spirit rushes through. This life is nothing without you.
0: I've reached the end of what my sight can show
1: me. I only wanna know the one who knows me. My heart was searching, now I finally found. Life is nothing without you Let your home...
0: Well, folks, we are opening up the inbox segment of our show. I'm going to answer today's question, and here it is. Our listener says, I'm wondering if it's a good idea to relocate to a different state for the sake of changing my dating scenery. I live in a major city and have been dating online and met people in person for six years now, but I haven't found someone I'm interested in or who shares the same values I do. God has given me an awesome young professionals ministry that I started and now run and over 200 people attend. I have a great job, amazing friends and family, and a solid church home. What are your thoughts about giving all of this up for the chance to meet a spouse somewhere else? And I should say, I don't feel my standards are too high. I'm looking for a guy who loves Jesus, doesn't get drunk, wants a family, and has a job. <laughs> okay, well, a few thoughts here. Um, First of all, it sounds like you really are in an amazing situation, and so I want to affirm that. Um, And it sounds, too, quite frankly, like you have been doing a lot of stuff. I mean, so... All of that says to me that really in the body of your experience and where you are right now, for many different reasons, you have a lot of good reasons to stay right where you are. Now, I don't want to ignore acknowledging the fact that um, this is kind of a dilemma because you kind of feel like, hey, I'm on a timeline. I thought I would be dating and married by now. And why is this not working out? And that's hard. And it's easy to think that the solution to this is on the other side of the proverbial fence, because isn't the grass always greener over there? So um, the fact is, you know, I mean, honestly, well, maybe, you know, you don't know. I mean, you don't know what is uh, available to you, what's out there. But that said, several things that you said, I mean, the fact that you live in a major city, uh, the fact that you have been dating online and meeting people, and you've been meeting them in person, which is great. Um, also, the fact that you said, you know, you have have a great job. You have amazing friends and family right where you are. You're part of a solid church community. All of those are great things that so many young adults are like. Well, how can I get this in my life? What does this look like? And so, I want to encourage you to celebrate those things because that is an amazing foundation uh, for your life in general as well as for potentially finding a mate. So that said. The question of should I give all this up for the chance to meet a spouse somewhere else? My first thought is just, you know, probably not in the sense that you don't know that anything is going to be better or is going to change if you just have a change in zip code. And so, um, you know, you did mention, though, a couple things, including, um, you know, I don't feel my standards are too high. Uh, You said you have been dating online. Um, I would just say, you know, make sure that you have other people in your relationships or in the process that you're going through to maybe meet people because maybe they could provide some good feedback for you as to things you might be overlooking or things you might want to reconsider. Also, I would say, even if you don't move to another state or move somewhere else, it doesn't mean that you can't harness the power of geography and make it work for you. Well, how do you do that? I would recommend um, if you have friends in other states, whether married or not, make sure that they know of your desire to date and be married and that they're keeping their eyes open for you. I've actually been set up on a couple dates that were long distance that I ended up meeting and going out with the person when I was on a trip to a certain place and I had great godly friends who were willing to introduce me to someone. So that was really cool. Uh, Also extended family who is elsewhere. They can be a great home base for you to meet other people in their spheres. Um, You know, kind of harness them as your advertisers (laughs) and being those people who are going to expand your network. And and hopefully that will be helpful. Um, But also, I would recommend just digging in right where you are. I mean, you mentioned you uh, have over 200 people attending your young adult ministry. That's fantastic. Um, You know, don't, feel uh, or don't be tempted to enter a spirit of envy over that. Remember first and foremost that God is in control of your situation. He has your back. He has the timeline for you. He could get you married in a heartbeat if he wants to. He could introduce the person that you are meant to marry to you tomorrow if he wants to, or it could be someone that you've already met. You just don't know and he's not going to give you the full picture most likely. You have to trust him And walk in faith one step at a time. So be encouraged about that. Be prayerful about it. Keep your eyes open. Keep encouraged. Be about the business that you're about. Uh, Walk out your faith and your life with confidence, and then just see how God shows up and what he does. So sorry, that's not super prescriptive for you, um, but I would recommend that you just take heart with where you are and be encouraged because it sounds like you do have a great foundation for a lot of future success. All right, folks, that is it for this week's show. Um, it always is fun spending time with you. And so if you've had fun with us here at The Boundless Show in recent months, we would love it if you would hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. I actually read through the most recent reviews just last week, and they are so encouraging about how The Boundless Show is meeting needs and encouraging folks right where you are. And so that encourages other folks and uh, maybe they'll give the show a listen as a result. So I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show
1: is a production of boundless.org. Focus on family.
5: Just like a warm fireplace when it's cold outside, the joy of the Christmas season gives comfort and draws us closer to loved ones. I'm John Fuller, and Focus on the Family is excited to let you know about our Christmas Stories podcast. Each episode brings heartwarming conversations to bring your family closer together and remind you of the hope we have in Jesus. You can enjoy that podcast at focusonthefamily.com slash
0: christmasstories. That's focusonthefamily.com slash christmasstories.